You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. Our topic today is photography specifically, well, photography in a lot of different directions, all having to do with Louisiana, but specifically about a really interesting project, which was photographing the bridges across the Mississippi. And you'd be surprised when you learn how many bridges there are across the Mississippi, uh, beginning in Minneapolis and coming all, all the way down to uh, uh, New Orleans. With us, Errol, there's 135. 100, 135 bridges across right. the Mississippi. I was flabbergasted when I saw that. Uh, I would have guessed 50 um, uh, mainly, but yeah, 135. Um, so it was, it was quite a project. Our guest is Philip Gould. Uh, Philip Gould is one of the renowned photographers in, the, in Louisiana. He, he came with in 1975, got a job with the, what, the Daily Iberian? Yes, sir. And I think you were 23 at the time. And uh, you came from San Francisco. I, I graduated from San Jose State University in photojournalism. Okay, but, but, but you spent, you grew up in, in San Francisco, is that correct? Bay Area. Yeah, That's okay, correct. Bay Area, okay. And uh, I was reading one comment that when you got the job uh, in Louisiana and you moved from the Bay Area, you said it was the biggest cultural leap of your life. The Bay Area itself is kind of a cultural leap to begin with. So you've been, uh, <laughs> you've been riding the cultural leaping. Uh, well, but yeah, and, uh, Bay, I think of the Bay Area as sort of the left coast, uh, and why don't we say Louisiana is the low coast? So why not? I mean, culturally speaking, to go from San Francisco Bay Area for, with all the counterculture and the hippies and all that to South Louisiana, New Iberia, South Louisiana, that's a pretty big cultural jump. That would be. And, and one other little thing that means something here in this office because we do uh, Louisiana Life Magazine. Sure. Was that the very first issue of Louisiana Life? Um, you did the cover story. Uh, uh, how it won. Uh, oh, it, was in, uh, oh. it was in 1981. And oh. the, uh, the cover photo, and the article was about traveling Highway 1 from Grand Isle to Shreveport. And the cover was of this post office in the town of Labar. Labar is between New Roads and Morganza. And it was the post office at the time, and at the uh, in the coverage of the woman putting up uh, an American flag. Um, when um, I used to drive that route a good bit uh, when my mother was living in Central Louisiana, sure. and every time I did that, I would stop and see how the building was doing. Uh, it stopped being a post office a long time ago, and I haven't driven in a couple of years now, so I don't know if it still stands. But the building itself stood empty for a long time, and for all I know, it's still. It still may be there, but anyway, that was the, ver the very first cover of, uh, of uh, Louisiana Life, dated March, April, nineteen eighty-one. It was an honor to do that project. Uh, um, that was a great idea. I mean, for first issue, take Highway One, uh, which went from one extreme of the state, Grand Isle to Shreveport, to the other is, is another one. Uh, and, and you know, thinking about it this morning, I haven't traveled the highway that much, but the last time I did, it really hadn't changed that much. And I think what happens is that at the time, I-49 hadn't opened yet. Once I-49 opened, that just drew everything uh, away from Highway 1. And so there wasn't that much development anymore, except in Marksville, where they built an Indian casino. Sure. And I saw the changes that that brought. And what really surprised me was the day I was driving through Marksville, I saw the marquee, and it said, coming soon, Wayne Newton. And to think of Wayne Newton playing Marksville. <laughs> you got a little bit of Las Vegas here. Yeah, there was another cultural leap uh, right, right there. Uh, okay, several things I want to talk about. First of all, is uh, your book, Bridging the Mississippi, yes, sir. Spans Across the Father of, of Waters. Uh, it came out in, uh, uh, in, in, in 2020, uh, got interrupted a little bit by that damn pandemic, but it's out there. It's a good book. If you uh, look it up on the internet, there's, there's really, favorable responses. You did the photography. 
your wife, Margot Hassa, uh, did the text. And so let me begin. Did you go up to the very start of the Mississippi at Lake Atasca in Minnesota? I, I made it up there the first trip up river. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I did this in increments. Um, you know, I had photographed this significantly in Louisiana, worked my way up to Memphis. And then uh, from there, I just made a long trip going all the way up to the headwaters uh, at Lake Atasca. Um, did you go by uh, boat? Excuse me? Did you go by boat? Oh, no. Oh, okay. No, I, 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 oh, okay. I took a car. Okay, good um, for you. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a noble concept, but totally impractical. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and um, just worked my way down. And, and before I did the project, I, I did a ton of research, uh, primarily online. There were several good websites that show the bridges. And so I was able to get one, one a good sense of what bridges were interesting, also what bridges were historically important, and um, you know what bridges were compelling for whatever reason. Uh, the history is a, is a fascinating story of bridges over the Mississippi River. Um, the, the Mississippi River was the big obstacle uh, for railroad expansion heading west towards the, the California coast and everything. And they couldn't figure out how to build it, uh, build crossings, because the water, the water was terrible. The geology underneath was horrendous. Finally, in 1854, they built, uh, um, 1856, I'm sorry, they built a bridge in what is now Davenport, Iowa. Um, it's op open for two weeks, and a riverboat crosses upstream underneath, loses power, falls back, and um, crashes into the bridge, just sinking the boat and burning the bridge badly, putting it out of service. And what, what happened was uh, the folks who had the boat sued the railroad, uh, sort of describing the bridge as uh, unsafe, unwarranted, and a um, hazard to navigational traffic. And so one of the interesting story is that one of the lawyers with the railroad was Abraham Lincoln. And so he had the, the um, shall we say, the common man political touch. It was uh, very effective in trying the case. Um, and ultimately made the argument that we have as much right to go over the river um, as people do have the right to go under the river, as long as both can do it safely. And uh, that, the, the trial eventually ended up in the Supreme Court and the um, Lincoln was no longer part of the case, but it, it ruled in favor of the railroad, obviously. River people tried to sue several more times like the Affordable Care Act, and they finally gave up. And um, so, you know, there's been this uh, interesting coexistence between railroads and riverboat people uh, ever since. So that's how it all began, and it goes on from there. So, you know, railroad people are still having fights everywhere you go. There's some kind of thing. Um, you know, with the railroad that goes through Metairie right outside of New Orleans on Metairie Road. People say it's blocked the traffic for too long. They, oh, yeah, want to start they want to start passenger service from New Orleans to Mobile. The freight railroads say no, it's going to clog the, uh, it's going to clog the tracks. And so uh, the battles continue. You know, what's interesting about Lincoln is that many years later, of course, when he was president, uh, he, he's remembered, of course, the Civil War, but one of the major acts of his administration was he signed the legislation to create a continental-wide railroad. And so that was the beginning of the whole railroad system. And that, that changed the everything. The that. It was in the middle of the Civil War, too. Sure. So, yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, he was a pretty much of a visionary and was not only dealing with the Civil War, but, you know, look, looking down, looking towards the future. And, you know, what, what do we have to prepare? Uh, the country is becoming increasingly industrialized. What do we have to do to be ready for it? And uh, so... He gets a lot of credit. You know, historian uh, with Joseph Campanella uh, out of Tulane did a book a few years ago, and it talked about young Lincoln. But he, but he says that I guess when he was a teenager or a little bit, maybe a little bit older, that they had all these boats that came down river, down the Mississippi, you know, hauling things from the Midwest, sure. yeah. and that 
one night um, he and the other person on the boat were camped out on the banks right above New Orleans. And some, some people came in that got a fight. They got beaten up. Wow. Um, uh, camped on, on the Mississippi. Um, so maybe that night, <laughs> maybe, maybe they, they Lincoln think about other mediums of travel uh, yeah. with, uh, with the Mississippi. But getting back to Lake Itasca, okay. Sure. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of trains, I was once on a train, uh, the Empire Builder, which is going from Chicago to Seattle. And at one point it crosses, there's a trestle that crosses that lake. And I've always heard how, how surprising it is because it's really like a, a big pond. I mean, what I saw, I remember seeing was a bunch of kids flashing around and when it was wow. obviously very shallow and there were a lot of boulders in there and they were climbing there. And that was the beginning of Mississippi. But, but anyway, it's just incredible to see that shot right there. And then from there, it just starts, it starts its trip and then other, other streams and rivers just mingle in uh, totally uh, well, uh, we have. The first big stop for the river then would be Minneapolis. Um, okay, where there are several bridges there. Right. Um, and if someone goes to Minneapolis, if, let's, say, let's say from New Orleans, I think the thing that would surprise them is that we're used down here for bridges to have to go up very high. Uh, sure. But, but the water's shallow up there. And so right. the bridges aren't very high. You could just kind of just routinely drive across them, not even realize you're crossing the river. Right. Well, the. Um... The bridges are high in Louisiana because you have ocean-going freighters that need to get underneath them. Uh, after uh, Baton Rouge, this, the heights uh, uh, requirements are a little less because then it's, it's just towboats and whatever, whatever else. Once you get up to Minneapolis, the navigational portion of the river ends, and from there on out, it's just um, it's just like a, um, it's like a bayou almost. And people can run their motorboats and all this kind of thing, but it is far reduced from what it is, what the river that we know downstream. So, yeah, so, so for Minneapolis, they, so if you're going downstream to New Orleans, you just kind of drift past Minneapolis. The big thing about the river in Minneapolis is that uh, there are, you see former mills around there. And sure. there's a lot of like wheat mills and, you know, things like, uh, with Pillsbury and all of those things. Oh, yeah. That was the place where people brought things to be made into, uh, into those kind of supplies at the time. Those, those, and many of those buildings are still standing. They're either monuments or reconverted to other uses like apartments or whatever. But if you go into the, the, um, into the middle of the Mississippi River, uh, there's a bridge called the Stone Arch Bridge built in 1873. You can stand on that and you, you are literally in a canyon and you can see all these buildings all around you. This is in Minneapolis? Yeah, in Minneapolis. Yeah. It goes right into downtown. And, and you can really get a sense of, of the history of, of that area. And uh, um, yeah, it, the city started very much as a grain processing, also, you know, as an industrial city. A lot of um, uh, immigrant laborers came over there to work there from uh, Central and Eastern Europe. So you had an interesting culture from that standpoint as well. So, yeah. All right. Now, I know your text talks about, indeed your wife's text talks about the importance of steel. When did steel come in? Uh, steel, steel in is a, uh, yeah, that's a great story. And, and uh, we all know James Eads, uh, primarily from John Barry's book, um, um, Rising Tide. He, he painted a portrayed Eads is one of the heroes of the Mississippi River and its development. Um, Eads was based in St. Louis. He was a hero of the city. The city felt he could do no wrong. St. Louis was on the western side of the river. Uh, great for westward expansion, but terrible if you want to link up to the railroads. And so the city fathers came and asked him to build a bridge. The spans that were required to get to build it safely across the, the Mississippi River, there uh, were they needed to be 500 feet, and iron was not strong enough to do it. Um, fortunately, Eads was aware that steel production on a large scale was just beginning to pick up, and he had contacts in Germany with uh, you know 
the, the naval yards. Um, yeah, he actually built um, I, our ironclad warships for Abraham Lincoln, which were key to um, you know controlling the Mississippi River for the Union. Um, anyway, so he took all this knowledge. And so you have this wonderful case of people need to get this bridge built. And he is hounding the people who are developing the technology. And so everything is fast happening in real time. And it was touch and go. And um, it's now a, a classic, just absolutely classic bridge. And, um, you know, it's been highly, highly praised both for its architecture and for its, you know, for its ingenuity from an engineering standpoint. Um, sadly, the bridge went out of business within a year after it opened in 1874. The railroads didn't use it. The, this, the rail line went in underground once it got to St. Louis and it just was a big whopping mess. And so it didn't really help St. Louis all that well until they built another bridge a little bit further downstream and then that sort of equaled everything out. But um, you know, the irony of this, this bridge being so cutting edge and so vital to bridge construction in general, going bankrupt, you know, it's pretty strange. You know, and it went bankrupt because what was the source of income? Was it the railroads that were paying to use it? Well, they went bankrupt uh, primarily because no one was using it. The railroads were shying away from using it. They didn't want to. And um, so he was, he was left holding a tremendous amount of debt to build the bridge and, you know, Finally gave up, and and um, the bridge continued being a railroad bridge for I don't know how long, sometime in the mid 20th century, and that finally stopped. They reconditioned it, they repurposed it, and it is now a passenger car vehicle bridge as well as uh, underneath the uh, line for the metro, the St. Louis metro that goes out into East St. Louis. So it still has a very viable and, and important function. So. Okay. I can't resist just a quick Mardi Gras side note. Yes, East sir. St. Louis is where Professor Longhair was from. Really? And the song Going to the Mardi Gras uh -huh. it was originally called East St. Louis Baby. It was oh, written like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to East St. Louis, going to see my East St. Louis baby. And, wow. and uh, he got it from there. Uh, Longhair wasn't from there, but, but the song was there. Uh, East St. Louis Baby became going to, the, uh, going to the Mardi Gras. All right. And so we go down to St. Louis. And how many bridges are, 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 are there now in St. Louis? Louis? Yeah. Uh, um, offhand, I would say half a dozen okay. within the city limits. All right. You know, maybe off one or two. Um, you know, if you, you go a little bit further out, it, it gets up to be about a dozen or so. Okay. Um, now, one thing I, I wanted to mention that uh, we passed up already is, is Cairo, Illinois. Cairo. Cairo, Cairo, Illinois. Yeah. Which, which is important to this because that's where the Ohio River empties yeah. in, into it, okay? Right. And so once the Ohio River empties into Mississippi, it's a different ball game right there. Yeah, yeah a lot more Absolutely. water. But, but there too, I've been in the, in the train, you cross this bridge at Cairo and you can look down in the Ohio, the water is brown. In the Mississippi, the water is green. And you see, or, or with passes for green, and right. you kind of see the two mix right there. Right. Um, Cairo is important to the project also because that is where I, I had the experience. I was actually traveling with Robert Dafford, the muralist, and we're going up to Paducah, Kentucky, and late at night, freezing like 15 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and um, I saw all these truck beams as we crossed the bridges just bouncing light all over the place. And because the air was so cold, it was just magical. The problem was I didn't stop and I didn't take a photograph. And, but that bugged me so much that I, I just thought, you know, maybe I should do a book about the Mississippi River bridges. <laughs> so the seed for the project was on the bridges in Cairo. Yeah. And, and then the other thing that's important, I can't believe we're talking so much about Cairo, but the other thing that's important historically was that at Cairo, once you cross into Illinois, that's that was Union territory right. and it ended the slave states. And right. so Cairo was an important place to get yeah. to if you were right. escaping slavery. I mean, it was it was real, it was an important area. 
it was the lowest, it was the lowest free state uh, territory in the US. Kentucky was a slave state as was Missouri. Uh, neither one of them seceded from the union though. So, um, you know, so they had, there was a buffer there. And then one last thing I promise about sure. Cairo is Go if ahead. you take the train and the train from the, um, uh, you know, the train that ran from New Orleans to Chicago, that was, you know, the city of New Orleans, uh, the, sure. the, uh, uh, with Arlo Guthrie uh, thing about, and, and now the, uh, but the bridge over there, it's a long bridge and it sort of curves as it's crossing the river there. So if you're sitting, I think on the left side, if you're crossing the bridge at Cairo, which it does pretty much late at night, you can see the front of the train and the back of the train. Okay, yeah. uh, because of the curve that's being made. That's, that's a, right. you know, that's pretty cool. It is, yeah. It's kind of like the Huey Long Bridge, the railroad, the road going well, across the yeah. Long because you, you can see it, you, know, you can get in the back of the train and see the front as you, you pass yeah. over it. Now, as you go on down, don't you start seeing a lot of locks along the way? Uh, the locks begin just north of St. Louis and they uh, go all the way up to Minneapolis. And the reason you have the locks there is because you have a, obviously a much, a, a slightly steeper gradation of uh, altitude. And so they have to put, build these locks to, um, you know, make navigation possible. Um, from, from St. Louis South, they just let it go. You know, okay. it's, it's, it's wild. But they do have locks and, um, you know, that's a whole nother story, um, you know, and, and um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I talked to a couple of bridge pilots, bridge pilots, I'm sorry, towboat pilots, and uh, about, I was actually on a towboat with one guy in St. Louis. And, you know, this, this, this business with these towboats, they're the, they're the boats now that are, have to deal with the bridges in, in a serious way. Um, and uh, uh, one guy was describing the most dangerous bridge in on the river right now is in Vicksburg, the old railroad bridge in Vicksburg. And the reason is because you have to, you're going downstream, heading straight east, and then you suddenly have to make a, just slightly more than a right-hand turn, and you don't have much time at all to line up with the, the, the bridges going underneath. And if you go up and look at that bridge, there are so many dents in it, and it's just, it's, it's crazy. Uh, the nickname for the folks up there for that bridge is called Scar. Okay, and, the Scar uh, Bridge. You know, yeah. and this one pilot said, you know, the, um, you know, when, you, when you're navigating these, when you're navigating under these bridges, there's no room for error and the river continuously throws errors our way. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Wow. he's a, um, I thought that was a pretty insightful uh, observation. Okay, so as we go along, if we go down the river, at some point we'll come to uh, to Memphis. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, again, Memphis. I mean, you know, these bridges come online one by one as the technology improves. Memphis is the first crossing where you have both the Mississippi and the Ohio rivers, so it's a much more serious crossing. Um, and there are two, one bridge was built in uh, 1892, I believe, uh, eventually called the Frisco Bridge, single lane. Second one was built um, 20, 20 years later. And it was the first, um, it was the first bridge to um, have automobile traffic on it. And they built these things, these supports sticking out from the railroad bridge and the roadbed was timber beams. So that was the road that you crossed the Mississippi River in, in uh, Memphis, and uh, I'm just, I'm just looking at the. Um, I can't find it here, but anyway, it's 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 a fascinating thing. The people went on that bridge, on traveled on those timbers, until 1948. Gee, um, and uh, it wasn't until after the war was over that they built another bridge. Um, you know, just adjacent to it and, and that bridge is still there actually uh, uses it's, it's an interstate bridge now so great stories and actually um, and, and in the um, 
Memphis, they have taken that that old bridge, the double double bridge, and they've made a walkway across it using the, the supports, the original roadbed supports. So you can literally walk across the, the Mississippi River at that point and see all of downtown, see this massive, heavy industrial uh, mm -hmm. span that's still there and still used uh, in a big way. So, that would be incredible. Reminds you of walking across the Brooklyn Bridge, you know, oh, yeah. that kind of thing. This is longer, by the way. Oh, sure, it would be. Um, yeah. I'm going to tell you what the name of that bridge is. It's the Harahan Bridge, of okay. all names. Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking when you're saying this, uh, Johnny Rivers did a song called Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. Sure. Yeah. And they're called the opening line with long distance information, give me Memphis, Tennessee. Anyway, he's trying to get in touch with his Marie. But there's a line in there that says she lives just a half a mile from the Mississippi River Bridge. That probably didn't help the operator very much, all right? But, uh, that, but, but, but the song actually uh, mentions, uh, mentions the bridge. All right, sure. so we go down, okay, past Memphis, and we're starting to get into, uh, into Mississippi, and we have uh, the Vicksburg, uh, you mentioned, right. you mentioned right. the bridge. Also, there's a bridge near Greenville, which is a pretty nice modern-day bridge. The bridge there beforehand was also a real hazard. The, the spans were too narrow and it was just a big whoop to do for, you know, too many, a lot of accidents where, bridge, where boats would bump into bridges and the bridge in Greenville. So, um, you know, but that got replaced. So then Vicksburg became the, the hotspot for, um, you know, where it was very dangerous. Yeah. It was, it was uh, you know, when uh, the, uh, Sunshine Bridge got hit, um, uh, what was it, a um, year ago or two years ago or something, you know, and they, they actually had to close it. I went out and photographed it. And um, one of the uh, engineers working on the project described the situation as a long, delicate dance mm -hmm. between uh, the bridges people and the, um, sorry, the bridge people and uh, the railroads. I mean the boat, the towboats. You know they they they're stuck with each other. They have to they have to get along. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. and there we are. Mm -hmm. All right. And then we come to Natchez. Yes, sir. Beautiful. Yeah. Now you know Natchez, especially back in the plantation days, a lot of the uh, the planting and the growing was done on the Louisiana side. Sure. And people would go to Natchez and they'd have townhouses. On the Natchez side, so they'd uh, earn their livelihood in Louisiana, and then they you know, lived a good life in Natchez. Yeah, the Natchez built on bluffs, and, and yeah. so the, the lowland, the fertile delta, is on the Louisiana side, as you say. So um, people, um, you know, that's how it worked, and so a bridge across was pretty important. Um, I'm not sure; I don't remember exactly when it was built. Um, probably in the 20s. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's see, here we go. Just have to well, up the for a long time, they'll probably just taking boats across back and forth. But anyway, yeah. with me, by the way, is Philip Gould, photographer, and uh, talking about his book, Bridging the Mississippi Spans Across the Father of Waters. All right. So we go past uh, Natchez, and then sooner or later, we're going to come to uh, the Baton Rouge. Now, sure. there is in Baton Rouge a bridge a lot of people still refer to as the old bridge. And that was the original, is that Highway 90 or 190? Uh, okay. Yeah. Errol, if I may, if I may just interject uh, briefly. Okay. Um, uh, I think it's important to mention the Audubon Bridge, the John James Audubon Bridge, which is near St. Francisville. Oh, please go ahead, yeah. And, and, and not only is it a beautiful bridge, it stands out magnificently on the landscape, uh, but it is the first bridge that crosses a rural part of the Mississippi River. So you really have a sense of being out wow. in a river with very little signs of civilization anywhere. And so, you know, I think it's, we know why it's named because he did the, he lived there for a while, but um, it's, it's also a beautiful bridge. And it's, you know, one of the things that, that like, that I liked about it is that in time, back in the day, church steeples were what you would see if you're riding into a town, you can see, okay, from three miles out, you can see a church steeple. Okay, we're almost there. Now, 10 miles out, you can see the 
the towers of a bridge. Okay, we're almost there. And the, uh, the Audubon Bridge is a very classic example. You can see that bridge from, you know, 10 miles away easily. Um, it just stands out wonderfully. So anyway, that, that, go on, I'm sorry. And I know that it's on the other side of the river, you know, so yeah. No, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a, uh, it's, 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 it's a beaut, it really is a beaut. Yeah. And if anybody has gone to Natchez to come from Louisiana, that would be a good way to go to take that bridge. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I try. I go there a lot. I, I just I, I like being there. I like I like crossing it. I like I still photograph it actually. Mm -hmm. So um, and of I, course it was in the, in the obvious, but it, it was in that area that a lot of them spent time and took uh, uh, developed as birds of uh, North America book and uh, right exactly there. yeah yeah. Right. In, in, in the woodlands there. All right, so you get to Baton Rouge, and so we got the old bridge, the old rusty colored bridge. I haven't, I, I guess it's still rusty, uh, rusty It's colored. actually silver now. They painted the whole thing. Okay. And so they really upgraded it. And, and um, I think in like 2000, around 2010 in there for several years, it took a long time, but it's now a silver bridge. I remember it as a rusty bridge, uh, like you say. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a nice, it's a beautiful looking bridge. It's nice yeah. to drive over. You know? Now, most people don't know it because if they're going that way, they, they take an I-10 bridge um, sure. uh, at, at Baton Rouge. They just zoom across there without ever seeing that bridge. But that bridge is really, a, the old bridge is part of the history. And I think that it's there. You were referring to that deep water ships could only go as far as Baton Rouge. And, uh, it's true. And I've always heard it in terms of that bridge that they can only go as far as the old bridge in Baton Rouge. So you can't have a big freight ship going past that bridge. So anywhere beyond that, uh, you know, you see so many barges and towboats in the river, it's because that's all that can go there uh, beyond the old bridge. Right. I, I always thought that Huey Long pulled a fast one on, on the US government and built that bridge that way. Um, come to find out that actually the Corps um, decided they're gonna stop dredging at that point, because there's no real reason to go further up. So um, I, I think that the Corps was one who actually said, you can have that bridge built a little lower because that's going to be the end of commercial ocean going traffic right there, right by the Exxon refinery. Yeah. So. Okay. And then the I 10 bridge. Well, I got to say, driving that I 10 bridge, especially if you're heading toward Baton Rouge. Yes. And, and you got, when, when you're off, you're in downtown Baton Rouge. That is not for the faint-hearted. I mean, I find that especially on bad days when there's a lot of traffic and you know, all of a sudden you're in the middle of Baton Rouge and, and you're changing lanes really quickly. And if, right, you know, right. if you don't know intuitively where you're getting off, it can be, right. I mean, you know, uh, you can wind up in Hammond or somewhere, you know, so. The, the, um, the, the, the exit, the off-ramp of the bridge onto I-10 heading east is the only place where I-10 is effectively one lane. Well, you have, to, you have a, a lane shift because there's an exit there within a couple hundred yards, and so all traffic has to shift over into on you know onto traffic. So it is whoever thought of that, you know, they will go down in the halls of infamy for uh, bridge construction. Design. And somebody who's never driven that, and they're driving maybe like seventy miles per hour, oh, and they see a sign saying they gotta get, get be in one lane like in the next half mile. You know, that's I mean, that, that can be hard. More often than not, the, the bridge is so crowded with trucks and everything backed up, you know, a good way. So you, you, you hope for a slowdown, yeah. That's so one place. That thing is 70 miles an hour. Yeah, that's one place where I hope the traffic is stopped, where you can just kind of uh, right. equal. All right, so continuing down the Mississippi, uh, heading toward New Orleans at this point, sure. uh, there, there are a couple of bridges. Well, you mentioned the Sunshine Bridge. Sure. That was built by Donaldsonville. Uh, at the time that it was built, it was very much criticized because people didn't see why, okay? I mean, there wasn't a big population center. And I remember, I remember people referring to it as the bridge that connected nothing with nowhere. Yeah, the bridge to nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, well, people think they didn't get it. And, and uh, you know, uh, um, what is his name? You are my sunshine, Jimmy Davis. Yeah, Jimmy Davis, yeah. He was the one who really was behind that and, you know, a lot of other people. And, and the, he realized that, that you had to build a span there because there was so much petrochemical industry, even back then, 
and you had to have a connection going across and that would ensure the development on, on the West Bank as well. So it, 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 uh, it's very funny because I was reading some of the uh, publications that, that announced the opening of the bridge and one, one publication described uh, the, the, that area of the Mississippi River is America's rural valley. And another guy described it as a petrochemical spaghetti bowl <laughs> with all these pipes and everything like that. It's just crazy stuff, man. Yeah. That, uh, I, 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 I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going to that bridge now. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, if anybody's wondering that uh, You Are My Sunshine, that was a song that Jimmy Davis wrote. Right. And so they, uh, they named it after a song. And the fact is, anywhere you build a bridge, even if it is connecting nothing with nowhere, it's going to create some kind of activity. You know, sure. somebody's going to build a gas station or something on the other side. Right. Well, you know, um, that's true. The Audubon Bridge has had had almost no um, construction, you know, nearby. It's just no. truly a link. But um, yeah, the Sunshine Bridge. I mean, it, things just erupted in almost instantaneously once they got that thing built, and now it's it's you know spaghetti petrochemical spaghetti bowls on both sides so of the river um, okay you know so you go a little bit further and here's where i'm maybe getting a little bit shaking my bridges i think there's one by destrahan or uh, there's there's the bridge called the hale boggs bridge yes which is right outside of by by luling right and uh, that, that connects um highway you know, what will one day be Interstate 49 into New Orleans. So I think it's right now, it's 310. Anyway, it, it connects the Highway 90 traffic coming up from the from the Southwest to New Orleans. It's a beautiful bridge as well. I mean, it's just this massive, these A-frames of huge steel and, and it's just dramatic as all get out. And that's another one you can see it for miles and miles away. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's key, I mean, it, it is. It, it's nice and it's not crowded. Okay. All right. Now we're getting into the big time here. <laughs> uh, we go down, and then all of a sudden there is the Huey P. Long Bridge. Right. Um, built, uh, well, what we call West Wego and connecting, uh, I guess, the Elmwood area of Jefferson Parish. Built, what, in like the 1930s, probably? It, it, it opened in 1935. That opened actually a couple of months after how Long was assassinated. So he never got to see the opening of his bridge. But um, he played such an amazing role in getting that done. I mean, you know, the guy's an effective dictator and he says, okay, you need to do that and that. Okay, well, there we go. We're good. Let's go. And uh, he was able to assemble all the people and get them to do it. And, get, and he made sure they had the money to do it. So... And, and so here you see the first the real high-rise bridges. And when right. you build a high-rise bridge, you got to build access ramps. You got to kind of spread them all around. I mean, right. you can't just drive up to a high-rise bridge because no. of the angles. Right. You have to kind of work your, work your way up. It's the more than the high-rise with what it does to access and highway patterns all the way around there. So they have a big impact. The, um Again, the, the Huey P. Long Bridge had the same thing as the, the Bridge of Memphis. You had supports on the, off, off of the, the, the Huey P. Long Bridge is effectively a railroad bridge. And you, have the, you had these supports that allowed for two lanes of traffic on each direction. Each lane was nine feet wide. And so it was minimal at very best. And uh, the interesting thing that we don't think about all that much is that but the actual the railroad portion of the bridge is actually almost four and a half miles long. It goes, because of, you need a 1.25% grade, so you really have to get it all the way back. I remember reading Richard Campanella, you mentioned him, and um, you know, everyone said, well, why wasn't the Huey P. Long Bridge built in New Orleans? And he made the point, well, if it was built in New Orleans, it would pretty much wipe out a large chunk of the city. So they, they really wanted to get it away from New Orleans. So, um, yeah, thank it goodness. It was all because of the railroads. Yeah, thank goodness they didn't build anyone. I've heard, and I guess it's still true, uh, that from the point where the ascent begins for the railroad to the point where it ends on the other side is the longest railroad crossing in the world. Uh, it may well be. It may well be. And I think it's, it's you know, what, 1935? It's, it's, it's yeah. five years old now. 
And not many people get to see it. The only way you can see it if you uh, don't work for the railroad is um, the train, the Sunset Limited. Sure. Uh, and I think it's maybe like, like, like once a day uh, between New Orleans and Los Angeles. And it crosses it. And that's an incredible crossing. That's really. Uh, oh, yeah. I've done that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's quite nice. Okay. It's quite nice. All right. So we go down river a little bit more. Then all of a sudden we come into New Orleans and we see the bridge called the Crescent City Connection. It's uh, sure. originally there was one bridge. Right. And then they said, you know, we're going to need another one really soon. And there was a debate for years where to build a second bridge. And at one point they were talking about Napoleon Avenue. But it would have been the same thing you just referred to, that to right. build it, you'd have had to wipe out uptown uh, around there. So people knew right. you could do that. So the ultimate compromise was to build them next to each other, uh, right. minimize the damage and twin span. Well, and, and that's the most effective way because the route, the routes are already established there. So why, why you have to build a whole other route? I mean, it, it makes no sense at all. And so, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, I like the fact how they mirror each other. I like the fact how um, you can go, you can, you can literally get literally right underneath them and, and see them, and it's pretty dramatic. Mm -hmm. There was there was one t one moment where I was photographing there, doing some drone shots, and then I came across this guy. There's a photograph of, of it in the book, and he has his hands. He's standing literally exactly between the bridges. Has his hands up. And it looks like he's praying, and, and I, uh, you know, I, he he stopped and said hello, and um, I said, well, "What are you doing?" I'm, I'm just curious. But what, what he said, I come over here every morning, six a.m. or so, and I come to this spot and I put my hands up. I put my hands up to align myself with the bridges so I can align myself to God. Wow. So this this space was his path to the divine, you know getting in touch with the divine. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. And, um, well, well, I saw that picture in your book. And, yeah. um, and when I thought, I said, man, that's Philip, man. He really knows how to pose a shot. But that's a real thing, huh? That's a real deal. He was actually doing it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know. Um, now, he was well aware that I was photographing him, obviously. Yeah. But so, yeah, was I posing him? Um, you know, that's always a, a tough one. But that's what he was doing Okay. before I got there. You know, but I... Errol, I'm not that smart. I can't think, you know, I, you know. So as we go down river there, there are no more bridges after that. Yeah. There's no population base. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you go back to Paris again. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to mention is that it has nothing to do with bridges per se, but uh, early in the development of New Orleans, they realized that there was a problem with the sediment that's carried down by the river. Uh, that it was clogging up, and eventually the river was going to get all clogged below New Orleans. You couldn't have navigation. So an engineer came up with the idea of developing essentially these gates, which act like a funnel, which pushed the sediment out, and they were called jetties. Huh. Okay. Okay. And the guy who built those jetties was Eads. Yeah. Right. 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 Our Way same Eads from, from St. Louis. It's called the, it's still there, the Eads jetties. Right. So he was quite a hero in New Orleans too. Oh, I'm even, sure. I even ran across that when the project was done and maybe in progress, they had a big banquet for him in Antoine's. And I oh, saw one thing published. They had, the, they had the menu of the banquet to honor Reeds uh, for building his uh, his jetties. Do they have that framed at the restaurant and everything? Or, or? I don't think they know about it. No, I think I found it just some, some book. came somewhere. across it, yeah. Yes. They miss a lot of history over there, but that's another story. Um, let me just ask you about, uh, that's incredible. And that's an incredible narration. And I really urge anybody to get this book because we're going to hear about this kind of stuff about the, about, about the history. And how many bridges you said altogether there are now? There are a total of 135. Okay. And, and that, you know, you have to, please keep in mind that a lot of them are north of Minneapolis, upstream from Minneapolis. And they're just like, Ordinary bridges, um, you know, there's nothing magical or fanciful about them. Yeah. There's a couple it'd that be, are nice, but you know, it'd be like if you were in New Orleans and there was a bridge at Jackson Avenue, then Washington Avenue, then Louisiana Avenue, because in those cases the bridge don't take much space. You're just rolling along, 
right. you go across a fairly shallow thing. And so right. there's a lot of bridges. You can do a lot of bridges there because they don't take up space. You couldn't do that in New Orleans. Oh, no, no, no. And you don't need to do it in New Orleans. No, you can, yeah, all right. And, you know, I guess the point where the Mississippi River is basically a creek, you know, the, br the brutal truth be told is this monumentous uh, uh, you know, river that's so important to the United States. North of Minneapolis, it's, it's, it's like a stream. You know, yeah. So. We're... Um, well, thank you for that account. I want to mention on the, on, on the previous uh, program, our, our guest was Herman Fuselik. Sure. And, and you worked in the book uh, with Herman about the dance halls of, uh, yeah. of Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. Ghosts of Good Times. That was a, um, that was a great title. Uh, I know we're running out of time here, but anyway, just any thoughts about the dance halls? Is there any place that really stood out in your mind? Oh, my goodness. Um... There are so many, um, and and you know, sadly, most of them are are you know closing. It's it's a phenomenon that's sort of seeing the end of its days. Um, you As know, Herman it, says, they're being replaced by dollar stores. Um, you know where the dance halls were. Yeah, they're being well. Yeah, but that dollar stores serve the same neighborhoods that the dance floors dance yeah. halls serve. Um, but there's some classic architectural beauties that are still, you know, up. The Southern Club in Opelousas is amazing. Um, you know, Richard's Club, which is a major Zydeco club that was famous all over the country, sadly burned down uh, several years ago. I mean, it's once these things close, you know, the end is, you know, quite near. So yeah. anyway, but it was a, it was an enjoyable book. I enjoyed working with Herman, um, and it was uh, I'm really glad that we were able to do that. He actually, he act the idea was actually his. And uh, he told me, I said, what you doing these days? And he's, you know, I've always wanted to do this book. I said, Herman, that is amazing. That could be an amazing project. So, One thought that's going to stick with, with me is that he told us a, uh, um, as a kid, his parents would go out and, uh, and, uh, and go to the dance halls. And at the time, there were black dance halls and white sure. dance halls. And, uh, uh, and um and he, and he would stay, I think, with, with, with a nan or with relatives, with, with an Opelousas. Yeah. And it's just like, not far from it, there were dance halls where like Ray Charles was playing. Right. And James Brown. <laughs> and this is, yeah, right. And it was the old Chitlin Circuit. Yeah, it was called the Chitlin Circuit. Segregation. Okay. That, that was, you're talking about Bradford's White Eagle. Which yeah. Is the club. Yeah. And Herman's parents, it's, it's kind of funny, the Herman's parents, we're very good friends with the owners of the club. The house where they lived was literally next door to the club. So when the parents would go to the, to the club for an evening music and everything, they took little Herman over to the house. He stayed there. And so, so I just, I just have this vision of Herman hearing all this music coming out of that place as a young kid. And, you know, that is where the, that is the point of birth for his career. And uh, you know, as a musicologist and uh, journalist and everything, but, imagine being a little kid trying to go to sleep and James Brown is singing next door. <laughs> maybe we don't need to go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure he heard the music. He may not have known who uh, uh, who James Brown was. I want to ask you one more question before that. Sure. Again, about the book uh, uh, "Bridging the Mississippi." It's available. Like I, I know Amazon has it. It's sure. available every place you buy books, right? The, uh... Pretty much, yeah, as far as I know. Um, you know, New Orleans is blessed with a lot of independent bookstores. I think they were all carrying the book as well. Yeah. All right. And, so, um, and, and it was on exhibit at ULL. I think that's moved on, but at some point there'll probably be another exhibit somewhere. Or... Yeah, uh, they want to travel the exhibit. That was okay. the whole idea of doing it, that, that you know, it could go to new... Um, Museums, what have you, up and down the river, and so I think that's still their goal. Yeah, and like you said, we all got ourselves interrupted by this bloody COVID epidemic, but you know we're allegedly back on track. Oh, Absolutely. So we'll yeah. Yeah. So. I want to say I wish I had more time to talk about your uh, experiences on, on photographing Louisiana. But I just like to kind of close with just to ask you. I know this is almost impossible to answer, but in the photographer, you got a job to like photograph like your, 
your three favorite spots in Louisiana uh, from sure. a photographer's perspective, what would they be? Wow. Um, sadly, one of them is no longer there. It was a dance hall called the Blue Moon Club in New Iberia. It's where I first went out and just saw this amazing scene with all these old Cajun people and stuff. Uh, Aldous Mouton was the accordion player firing off in rapid fire Cajun French. I mean, it's just, it was just like totally out of the past. That would be one. Um, I'd have to say, um, I have to say just generally New Orleans is an amazing place to photograph. I mean, and that comes as no surprise because so many people enjoy photographing there. Um, you have a good thing in photographing that around the Capitol too, the state Capitol. I think that's a pretty fascinating place. Yeah. You have a shot in, in the Bridges book of the, uh, the high rises at night uh, you took it from some kind of elevated position somewhere. Right. Uh, and of course, a lot of lights and the bridge and the lights out there. It's a really, it's a really beautiful shot. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, these things are, are, are photogenic beyond yeah. my every wish. How about, how about natural places? Natural places. I like the, the South Louisiana Prairie. Now that's not a very sexy thing, but there's a, there's a wonderful eloquence to it. And when you get out into real prairie, it's just really cool. Um, you get flooded rice fields and you sort of get the sky reflected up and um, in the water and, and things like that. So, and I like, uh, to be honest, I like photographing that in Lafayette. Downtown Lafayette is an amazing village you will and it's it's photogenic to like nobody's business so but no. yet lafayette lafayette doesn't have a skyline uh well, not much of one there's yeah. two buildings that are 15 stories tall but that's about it yeah but but maybe the things to be older down at the street level and so oh and it's so, a village yeah no, yes, it's it truly a village okay if, if you ever come to uh lafayette i'll take you to lunch in a couple places here they're really nice okay well so, i'll take you up on that so anyway well, Philip, it's been uh, an education. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank and you. uh, anxious to see your book. Let's, let's do this again. And anytime you have something new coming out, let's talk about it. So anyway, thank so you much. very much. See you again next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.